Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you'd like to listen to this podcast ad-free and before it goes on general release, please consider becoming a patron from just £3 a month or you can give a one-off donation via ACAST supporter. Both links will be in the episode description. Hello and welcome back to Conversations with me, Annalisa Barbieri. Today I'm talking about shame with clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst Dr Stephen Blumenthal, who is accredited by the British Psychoanalytic Council. Why shame? I see a lot of people being directed by their feelings of shame, either by being too afraid to face up to a difficult situation because they feel shame, or not even admitting to certain behaviours because they feel so full of shame. I have to say, in the letters I get to The Guardian, I would say the bias is more skewed towards men feeling ashamed. I had one man recently write to me, apologising for having written, because he was, quote-unquote, full of shame. From where I was sitting, he had no reason to feel like this, quite the opposite. But I think he saw asking for help as a failure, which he deemed shameful. In this podcast with Stephen, we look at what shame is, we ask if certain people are more likely to feel shame than others. Spoiler alert, a 2010 study showed teenagers were more prone to feeling shame. This is probably because they feel a greater need to conform, and transgression, as we'll see, often leads to shame. Do men and women manifest shame differently? And my big question, what's the difference between shame and guilt? Plus, lots more. Stephen, welcome to our third episode together. How are you today? I'm very well, thanks, and delighted to be back. Good, I'm very delighted that you're back too. Can we start with finding out what shame is and how does it feel to experience it? Yes, sure. I just want to say that shame, I think, is one of the most underestimated and really important aspects of our whole beings and our social beings. And it's really the fabric that keeps the social world together. I'm going to distinguish between normal shame and toxic shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, But normal shame is really the glue that holds the world together. Toxic shame is really one of the most important causes of psychological suffering. So you're quite right in what you just said. Uh, It's also such a topical issue in the sense that Social media and the internet has made what 
was a local phenomenon of being exposed within your local community, something that can be spread across the, the globe very quickly. So I think shame is really a subject that is very much of our age. I suppose it's easy to think of shame as always like a, a bad thing, but you're saying that actually it's what holds society together. And I'm guessing that that is normal shame. I'm guessing shame sort of stops us doing certain things. Can you explain what normal shame is? Yes, sure. Fundamentally, shame is an experience of yourself as being unattractive or undesirable. Uh, and when you feel shame, you feel you've lost social status. It's actually an experience of threat, more specifically social threat. So at the moment of feeling shame, it's a way of escaping from danger, from exposure. It's a kind of fight-flight response, but it's mm -hmm. a flight response, of course. Just the other day, I was on the tube with, and I saw a mother and a five-year-old boy. The boy was sort of acting up. He was being a bit loud. And the mother turned to him and very quietly chastised him. Uh, he went quiet and he turned and looked up at me and sort of averted his gaze, revealing, I think, some sense of shame in that. That was in the context of a loving relationship. And that is a way of him regulating his instinctual life, because that's mm -hmm. what he has to do in order to become part of society to follow the rules. But almost all people who present in a clinic like mine have experienced some form of much more profound toxic shame where they've been rejected, belittled, excluded for what are sort of minor infringements and they've been intruded upon. Any act of trauma has as its, at its roots the experience of shame, of being cut off from all that you know, of meeting with disapproval, of being downranked in the social hierarchy. And that's much more difficult to get over. That is a completely different experience, obviously. Another reason why I think it's important is that it's a huge inhibitor, both in life and also in therapy. So this is part of the reason why it's very close to my heart. I think sometimes therapists and clinicians can miss the importance of shame and how profoundly inhibited somebody might feel in revealing the difficulties that they experience. So as a therapist, I think you have to obviously be sensitive to the level of shame proneness in the client or patient. And also sometimes you have to be quite active in how you go about creating a, a sort of de-shaming atmosphere. It sounds to me like shame is such a hot emotion because mm. we want to be part of something. And if we feel shame, it's usually because we feel we have transgressed and we might be cast out. And obviously yes. from a very basic level that threatens our survival and you know I think we've talked before that our brain hasn't always evolved to cope with the 21st century so some mm. of these feelings go back to very primal situations that no longer exist but yeah I can completely see someone like not wanting to be found out because they'll think that they'll be sort of outcast you talked about an environment that's de-shaming I think that's the word yes. you used what, what would that look like non-judgmental I mean, therapists are non-judgmental anyway, aren't they? Or well, they should be. 
Yes, but you see, I think this is where there can be some problems because the therapist may feel partly because of their own shame, they have to sort of follow a culture of being austere and unrevealing of anything about themselves, being the so-called blank screen. And I think one has to be a little bit more giving of oneself, of offering some encouragement Mm. to the patient in order to facilitate the process of coming into therapy and actually pointing out where they might feel ashamed of what they have to bring. Now, that's a really big topic in psychotherapy. Do you offer some kind of self-disclosure? Sometimes I do. And I think that can help somebody bring them into therapy. Obviously, you don't go into detail about your personal life because that intrudes on the client or patient's space. But you might offer an experience of vulnerability of some kind. And I don't really see anything wrong with that, quite Mm. frankly. Can we just briefly go back to what shame feels like? Because I think Mm. it's something that's not talked about a lot. So we may have a very subjective idea of what that feels like. And obviously, you have experience of lots of people in your therapy room. So what might shame feel like? I appreciate it might be different for different people. Yes. So the word itself, shame, comes from an Indo-European word, sham or shem, which Mm. actually literally means to hide. So Interesting. It's an experience of threat, a social threat. Now, from an evolutionary point of view, there's psychologist called Paul Gilbert, who I particularly want to mention because I think he's one of the few psychologists really to take shame very seriously and to put it at the center of his therapeutic approach. And he stresses the uh, evolutionary development of shame, where when we move from uh, where aggression and violence was used to control the group uh, and compete and became hunter-gatherers, we then moved from strength to attractiveness and shame became that much more important so we competed for space in the mind of the other the kind of developmental root of shame which Mm. is that if you imagine a toddler who is in a state of some excitement and approaches their parent in a state of excitement And instead of the parent validating that state of excitement, they might avert their gaze. There's a kind of misattunement between the parent and the toddler. And the toddler then feels excluded and sort of collapses in on themselves and hides. That's where the hiding comes in because it's the experience of a threat. So the infant is then hiding and it's expressed physiologically. That's in the nature of shame. That's what makes it different from guilt. Guilt is a more mental, internal state, whereas shame is that much more physiological. We experience it in our body. It's our body in a state of flight at Mm. that moment, of retreating from the situation in order to protect ourselves. I mentioned last time in the intimacy podcast, the still face experiment where eight week old infants are sat in a room with their mothers. And then the mother is instructed to go completely blank for 90 seconds. 
And it's absolutely staggering what happens with the infant. You can, listeners can look it up on YouTube. The infant will just sort of collapse in on themselves, avert their gaze, become very distressed, and they'll protest and try and re-engage their parents. But it's very much a kind of a physiological response to danger. Do some people suffer from shame more than others? And if so, does it go back to childhood and attachment? I mean, shame proneness comes from these very early experiences in life and depends really on how you are treated as a very young child. Often, this is where intergenerational trauma is really important. There's clear evidence that, for example, the children of Holocaust survivors who have not even spoken about the trauma that they went through have a different expression of cortisol in the blood. So they have a different threat response to situations. So I think the way in which a parent has experienced their life will then influence the way in which they inhibit or encourage certain responses in their children. It really depends on whether the child's sort of instinctual responses are responded to with pride and affirmation and validation versus a more shame-prone response in which there's a turning away from whatever the child is expressing at that moment. So sexuality is one particular aspect because it's often an area in which people experience some kind of inhibition themselves. And uh, it'll be the one area, often, that the child's experience will then be non-validated. It won't be encouraged or even seen by the parent. Even the averting of the gaze is often the thing that then will create in the mind of the infant uh, a sense that this experience is not something that is celebrated and accommodated in their life and in their sort of psyche, if you like. So we're born with the ability to feel shame because otherwise a young baby, it's not something we learn, is it? No, that's right. It comes from interaction. When does doing something wrong in inverted commas, turn to shame. If I came around to your house and spilt a glass of water, I'd go, oops, I'm so sorry. Mm. But when would that change into something more than just an error? Yes, well, you see, the error and the correction of the error is what you would describe as normal shame, because that's necessary for a child to learn their place in the social hierarchy, to know where they stand with their parents. If you don't offer boundaries like that, then that has its own problems and can create a kind of shamelessness, which is the other side of shame. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like a sociopath or a psychopath is somebody who is not living within the sort of social milieu. It doesn't yeah. know their place and is often uh, lands up being rejected by the group. But where it becomes toxic is when it's connected with interpersonal trauma. So there's a much more profound exclusion. That's why harsh punishment is a deeply shaming experience. Right. The yeah. little boy on the 
tube is learning something really important about how to be in public. And he's also getting an experience of ordinary disapproval from his mother, but an experience of her, say, humiliating him in front of other people and drawing attention to the situation where all the eyes of people around him are on him, that can develop into a more toxic form of shame. Yeah, I see that sort of rough parenting sometimes. Mm. And I often think it's about the mother or the father trying Mm. to show other people what a disciplinary parent they are, which is not impressive and it's awful to watch. Mm. There's a psychoanalyst called Don Campbell who describes something called the shame shield, which is normal shame. So we actually all have a shame shield. There's an ordinary hiding of instinctual wishes because we can't just go around expressing ourselves like an animal, if you like. It's the way in which we build up our sense of what is inside me and what is outside through ordinary disapproval. So we sort of build up these layers of self really in connection with this kind of shame shield. But what is really toxic is when that shame shield, that ordinary shame is breached and intruded upon, like in the case of either profound neglect, where you aren't validated and seen for things that are prideful or physical or sexual abuse, where there's an intrusion of that normal shame. I don't fully understand that, where the normal shame is breached. That to me sounds like there is normal shame associated with sex. Could you explain that? Yes. So there's normal shame associated with sex, of course, because we have to inhibit our (laughs) impulses, right? There's a conflict established where the person has learned from early on that actually sex is something that isn't just sort of indiscriminate. And then the experience of sexual assault in a number of ways, actually, because the perpetrator of sexual assault is most often known to the victim and might be in a caring relationship with the victim as well, which creates another layer of conflict. Part of the nature of trauma is that you're severed from your attachment relationships at that moment you are truly on your own so there's an experience of isolation Mm -hmm. and aloneness quite profoundly in that case the person's ordinary sense of themselves as and of sex is completely disrupted something that society that everybody regards as being an area that you don't go into has just happened. So it must have been about me is often right. the experience of the person. So there's self-blame there. Who's on the receiving end of sexual assault. Yes. And then it must have been about me is the, and there's something shameful about me. Uh, and I there's see. the experience of being a victim is in itself a shameful experience because in the victim position, you're vulnerable and alone and isolated and in need of being looked after, but here you aren't. So there's another way in which shame operates to exclude you. This is also another really important aspect of trauma, not just sexual trauma, but other forms of trauma as well, which is that 
in a, in the early stages of life we're learning about vulnerability and dependency and when a trauma happens in the context of a close interpersonal relationship then we come to associate vulnerability and dependency with something that is shameful and that is something that you encounter over and over again in a clinical setting where somebody has experienced that has come to connect vulnerability and dependency mm. with something that is shameful and that's another reason why as a therapist i believe that you have to actually be quite active in creating a de-shaming environment because the person is associating their close vulnerable relationship with you with something that is shameful and that's often why people go on to become hyper-independent as well, because they think needing is not a, a normal state and something to be ashamed of. I, I see there's a lot of correlation between shame and blame, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of self-blame with shame. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I think you point out something really important there, that there can be self-blame and often paranoia, which is also related to shame and blame because there's a kind of projection of hostility outwardly into others and mm. you're sort of being pursued. So you're the kind of object of aggression and violence and you imagine that there's hostility from the outside towards you. That is profoundly disabling. The frequency of hearing just that you're not held in mind with loving kindness, you're held in mind with hostility, there's negativity directed towards you. I'm beginning to realise that shame is a really big suitcase into which we pack a lot of stuff. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. How does shame differ from humiliation or embarrassment? Or are those the feelings that come after shame? Interesting question. I mean, shame, it's a sense that you have that it's to do with you, whereas humiliation is much more coming from the outside. I mean, there's, it's like a Venn diagram where there's a lot of overlap, obviously, but there's some sense of self-reflection in the case of shame. Humiliation is often an action that is done to you, whereas shame is something more about a frame of mind that one has. That's kind of like a more enduring state, if you like, mm. whereas humiliation happens in a moment. And often the response to humiliation is humiliated rage. Right. And that's something that I've been very interested in over the years. Shame actually is something about sort of hiding. So it's about flight as a response to danger, whereas humiliation is often responded to not with uh, flight, but with fight, right. and often results in rage and violence. And what about embarrassment? Embarrassment, I think, is very closely related to shame. It's probably a, a softer concept. It's easier to say that was embarrassing, yeah. as opposed to shame, which sort of really gets under our skin. And we don't like to admit to shame as much as we might be prepared to admit to embarrassment. I think of embarrassment as sort of unwanted attention for something you've done, which is hopefully quite fleeting. But maybe yes. shame is, depending on what it is and what happens, shame seems much deeper rooted and possibly, I don't know if those two kind of trigger it. I find emotions and feelings fascinating and how they're all interconnected. Yes. It's so interesting, isn't it, that we have this array of words for these sort of overlapping but sort of slightly different things. And yeah. I agree that embarrassment is something that is much more in the moment of a particular action and, and it's sort of milder. And it's actually quite useful as a tool in therapy because you can talk about embarrassment. It's a kind of a way into yeah, talking about talk something about. that's deeper and has as you say, deeper roots, as in the case of shame. I've always thought of feelings and emotions as coloured felt-tip pens or coloured pencils. When I was in the playground, if you had like the Caran d'Ache coloured pencils or felt-tip pens, if you had like the 25 or the 50, God, if you had the 100, you were really special. But what struck mm. me, when most people had 10 sort of coloured pens from WH Smith's, yeah. And when I became a grown-up, one of the first things I did was buy myself a really big packet of Caran d'Ache. <laughs> Couldn't quite bring myself to buy the really big one. It just felt too indulgent. But my point <laughs> is, what fascinated me was that yeah. in the basic pack, you had pink, red, blue, yellow. But as it got bigger, yeah. the shades and the hues got more varied and complex. There was yellow, but there were seven yellows. And as a little girl, I remember thinking it's a bit like emotions that you mm. have all these things that are connected but a little bit different 
And I remember thinking, I want my emotional pens. I want the big set. (laughs) I Mm. want to be able to explain all my different emotions. Because I think I saw quite a lot of people in my family not being able to express emotions. That's such a lovely example, isn't it? And I, I can see that your mission has really been to kind of expand that box of well, for my next really. birthday, I might buy myself you the hundred set. <laughs> I suppose your mission in the podcast, in the in your column, and in my own work is to expand the array of pencils to define emotion in a more nuanced, broader way, and that's the purpose of psychotherapy: is to give you an internal language for mm. your feelings, which actually then provides the container because then it doesn't feel so frightening to experience what you experience there's nothing nicer than suddenly thinking yes that's it that's how I feel or that's why I feel there's a certain peace in reaching the knot of it in my experience men tend to find shame deeply shameful and they bury it and they don't want to talk about it whereas women seem to be in my experience more able to articulate that they feel shame. They, they just seem a bit more able to talk about it. But in your experience, do men and women manifest shame differently? I absolutely agree that women have a much more internal sort of language for emotions and experiences, which men often don't. So they keep things to themselves and then experience much more shame as a result. I also think that perhaps because of the sort of intensity of aggressive and sexual drives in men, perhaps it's related to testosterone, that that means that there's more to rein in, as it were, and not to be able to talk about. Maybe, but do you not think it's also just because men seem to find it harder to accept vulnerability or to show vulnerability. Absolutely true. I mean, men are much more sensitive to social hierarchy and position, and so will feel much more threatened and potentially downranked. And shame is all about that. It's all about the the sort of downranking and being competitive for a place in the mind of the other. I think we should distinguish between there's sort of two kinds of shame, if you like. There's the shame of exposure and of disgrace. Mm. And then there's also the shame of attachment, the shame of vulnerability. I think those Mm. are two distinct areas, right? And when we're talking about men and women, I think there's a greater sensitivity to exposure and disgrace because there's a fear of being downranked in the social hierarchy. There's a much greater sensitivity to social hierarchy. But I think also, in addition to that, there's also a more profound shame of vulnerability and attachment. I think men are much more tend to be more sort of solitary creatures, whereas women, and this is very protective in that they live much more in a social milieu and Mm. are much more adept at connecting with others and being able to talk about their emotions without feeling ashamed of that. And actually, in addition to that, 
are much more willing to come to therapy. Although that is changing. Also, I think when you talk about your feelings, they can normalise, unless you're with someone who's not very nice (laughs) and says, oh, I've never felt like that. What's wrong with you? Which I've certainly had done to me. But I think usually if you're surrounded by people who are on your side, then they will say things like, oh, yeah, you know, I felt like that. And you can normalise it. And and something kind of diffuses and everything becomes a bit easier to bear. That's just the issue, isn't it? Is that actually what is felt to be shameful, often when it's talked about and looked at, the hiding that shame creates only makes the thing even more shameful. Mm. Whereas actually revealing it, exposing it in a loving, kind, compassionate way, uh, where it's properly held, that makes it okay. My next question was really about different age groups. And I mentioned in the introduction that studies I've read that teenagers seem to be more prone to shame. Teenagers are the most self-conscious of all the age Mm. groups. I just wondered what you thought about how shame might change as we get older. I think that's a very important point because what we talked about at the beginning was the, the very early sort of development of shame. But now it's very important what you're saying there about how shame takes on a whole new level of meaning during adolescence. And that's clearly linked to being in a group, to the group being more important. It's exactly what you would expect because suddenly it's really important where you are in the mind of others. Your social status, your position, your sense of yourself really depends on that. There's a surge of hormones. You're becoming a sexual being in a different way at that point, which means that sex becomes something that you're more self-conscious about. So in every respect, self-consciousness and shame profoundly influenced by development. And then I suppose as you go through life into sort of middle age and then later middle age and old age, it becomes less important because you have much more of a sense of yourself and of what is important, and that actually it's not so important what other people think anymore. It's more important what you think. Yeah, those same studies show that apparently when people get quite a bit older, they start to feel more shame. And I'm Mm. guessing that's as maybe, again, that goes back to sort of wanting to be part of something, feeling excluded, being scared they're going to be cast out, not being able to do things as much as they once did. I thought that was very interesting. It seems to me, and I might be wrong, if you have a very good sense of your identity and self-esteem, does Mm. shame bounce off you a bit more? Or are you still prone to feeling the same amount of shame as someone else? I think it's integral to your sense of yourself and your self-esteem. If you've got a more robust sense of your identity, then you're much more protected from shame, which is, in essence, self-esteem. Shame is a a version of self-consciousness, isn't it? Negative self-consciousness. Yes, and I guess your self-esteem comes from having yourself reflected positively around you, ergo, you have people around you that love you and see you. So I guess Mm. the risk of exclusion of having to hide is lessened. Yes, yes. It's all about how you're held in the mind of other people and how you think you are held in mind. If you've got positive, loving, caring relationships, which are reliable, 
then you're much more protected from feelings of shame. Mm. And the evidence is there to support that, that better, intimate, reliable, intimate relationships and social connectedness is strongly linked to longevity. My big question, we've touched on this a little bit, but how does shame differ from guilt? So shame and guilt are more distinct than any of the other concepts that we've talked about. Guilt is a much more internal emotion and a kind of higher order emotion, if you like. It's about feeling that you've transgressed some kind of internal moral code, whereas shame is what other people think. Uh, guilt is about what I think, whereas right, of uh, yourself. shame is about what other people think. Yeah, and what of you course, think they think. Exactly, yes. And shame is experienced very much in the body, whereas guilt is experienced at a mental level. Hmm. Shame is a more primitive emotion, actually. It comes first before guilt, and it's how you're perceived in the eyes of others. Guilt is the next step, if you like. It's like, how do I judge myself? One of the things that I remember growing up is that we'd be sitting around a table and some people would seem to delight in shaming another person. Mm. And I never understood what that was about. And I would sometimes kind of metaphorically throw myself in the pathway of that person to protect them. And I thought it was horrible behavior. Now, we see that a lot now. You talked earlier about social media, and some people seem to delight in shaming others. And I mm. wondered what that was about. How does shaming someone make the shamer feel? What are they trying to achieve? I think how we're seen in the eyes of the others, it's never been as important as now in our current age, because the sort of the stage for that is so vast isn't it? We are all publishers now. Shaming has always been a, a feature of human life, hasn't it? Like people being put in the stocks and spat at or mm. pelted with excrement. But now that's on a much bigger scale. And social judgment like that, downranking other people in a public context, has profound impacts, which we don't even understand just yet. And we're a bit obsessed, I think, with shame and shaming others. And I think you can see that on a whole lot of different television shows like Britain's Got Talent, X Factor, Love Island, where the shows themselves are founded on shame and shaming others. And they're entertaining, of course, but it also taps into something really negative in our makeup which is that we quite like to see other people downranked because perhaps it gives us a sense that we're somehow higher in the social rank mm. and that we can then look down on somebody else. So there's that aspect of things. I think the other side of it is that it also encourages a kind of culture of shamelessness, a sort of culture of narcissism where people say whatever they want and aren't 
appropriately ashamed of what they might say or do in front of other people. So it actually sort of encourages people to do things which are sort of a bit of a spectacle without actually fully recognizing the consequences of that for the person. It might be something that is done quite impulsively in the moment because the person is just wanting to grab the spotlight, but then on reflection, when they have to then suffer the consequences of that, that can be really awful and can really affect people's mental health. Well, I think also you can do something and not be shamed and you can do something and be shamed. And what's interests me is why people feel the need to shame someone else. And it's always struck me as the most massive projection. While Mm. you're shaming someone else, people aren't looking at you. And I think that maybe looking at themselves is too painful. I don't know. That's why I'm interested to know why you think people do it on a kind of granular level, but also on a kind of super ego societal level. You've mentioned that it's about sort of upping themselves in the Mm. social hierarchy, but it doesn't really work because I would imagine it makes them feel quite empty. Of course, there might be some immediate instant gratification, but then at some point the guilt sets in about Mm. what the person has done. You know, it's an unfortunate thing about human nature that we both have an incredible capacity for loving kindness, for compassion and for care, but we also have a really dark side too in which we have aggression and hate and how that side that darker side to our nature is managed is the enduring problem of sort of civilization and shaming somebody else publicly is kind of a form of aggression really Mm. and it's unfortunately a form of aggression that can also get validation from others as well in the act of being aggressive and turning on somebody who is perceived to be somehow deserving of humiliation then also gives credibility to the person who's expressing the aggression listening to this and you think I feel shame and I find it really hard to articulate it is there any way to help yourself talking helps I think talking with somebody not necessarily a therapist but with a good friend who can support and hear your shame with care and kindness rather than with hostility and rejection. I think the antidote to shame is to be attached, to be connected. Mm. Uh, and to, to have an ally. Or to several. have an ally, yeah. That's, yeah, that's well said, yes. Yeah, because then we feel protected and mm. goes back to that whole sort of wanting to be part of something. So, yeah, shame is a state of unsafety, of threat. And the antidote to threat, social threat, is connectedness. And do you think that people who have deep shame but haven't processed it make other people feel 
shame. I suppose I was thinking of a parent who had been made to feel shamed as a child might then go and become the same sort of parent and shame their child. I think that's exactly right. There's a sort of intergenerational transfer of shame. So if you've been shamed, then you're much more likely to shame your child. Unfortunately, that's the way the cycle of negativity sort of works, that we tend to pass on and do unto others what was done to us, even when we try our very best not to do that. But it's not hopeless because, especially in parenting, which Mm. is a subject very close to my heart, well, mothering is, since I'm a mother, you can definitely rewrite the script. I feel I have in certain things. Of course you can. Just to give a bit of hope that, you know, if you were were sort of shouted at and shamed a lot, you can actually take that out of your repertoire and you don't have to continue it. Stephen, I know you've been reading books about shame. Did Mm. you learn anything that was new or surprising to you? I think in the therapeutic context, in the clinical context, the importance of the stance that you take as a, a clinician, really, in response to shame. Because when people come to see somebody for help, there's vulnerability. So your natural response to feeling vulnerable is to armor yourself and to be in a kind of state of threat alert. There's always a fear that your vulnerability is going to be used against you or exploited in some way, that you're exposed. And I think if you imagine a cat or a dog who's in a state of threat, like if your cat is responding to a loud noise or a, mm-hmm. or a dog, and the cat sort of goes into a kind of state of alert. Their sympathetic nervous system is activated at that point. And they're much more just like any cat, which is in a kind of state of threat. And then when the threat recedes, they sort of go back to their own inimitable self. They become the cat that you know. They have a kind of personality. And when you're in a state of threat, and shame is a state of threat, then you can't really be yourself. You're in a state of alert, just like the cat in fight flight mode. Mm. And I think it's really important to take that very seriously, that you're not really getting a picture of the true person. We can only really be our true self when we're relaxed, when we're not responding to a sense of threat around us. Thanks so much to Dr. Stephen Blumenthal. If you like this episode, you might also like the conversation I had with Stephen on intimacy in series two and trust in series five. And if you'd like to learn more about Stephen and his work, you can do so at stephenblumenthal.com. As ever, I'll also put this in the episode description. The series is produced by Hester Kant. The artwork is by Local, and our music composer is Toby Dunham. If you'd like to read my column in The Guardian, it's every week in the Saturday magazine. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, this is Annalisa. I started doing this podcast because it's an idea I really believe in. So much so that I decided to put my money where my mouth is and self-fund the project. I really want to keep releasing this podcast for free. So if you enjoy this episode, a way you can help is to visit our ACAST supporter page and give what you can. You'll find the link in the episode description. Thank you.